0: Well, good morning, everyone. Like Derek said, my name is Jim Hahn, and I'm working at Hope Presbyterian Church to develop a youth ministry for our high school and middle school kids. Uh, And this morning, I have the wonderful opportunity to get to teach to y'all today from the book of James. And James is a book that really calls people who want to follow Jesus, want to truly live out their faith, to seek God's wisdom in life, or heavenly wisdom as James puts it. And this wisdom is mentioned in many of the Proverbs that Derek has taught on this summer. Uh, It's a gift that Solomon asked for before anything else so he could govern his people righteously. And ultimately, the beauty of wisdom, this heavenly wisdom, is found in the life of Jesus, who lived it out perfectly in the way he loved others and even the way he pursues us now. So let's dive into the book of James now. Let's read James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 3 through 18. And let's see how James paints us a beautiful picture of this wisdom. Starting in verse 3, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast And be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. Sorry, I'm used to my dad always doing that. (laughs) Um, Let's pray together real quick. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much that we have a chance to hear from your word. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, that we would truly hear the beauty of of your love for us, and that beauty would lead us to show love to others around us. I pray that we'd be willing to see your wisdom in life today, and that would be something that truly impacts our lives now. In your name, O Lord, amen. Well, I think in America, we can agree that knowledge has become a necessity for our lives. And, you know, we spend years going to school just to build up that knowledge. But then when you go to work, when you apply for a job, you actually have to have even more knowledge to do that job well. I think we also can agree that regardless of how much knowledge you have in life, if you're not able to use it effectively or in the correct way, it really loses a lot of its value for us. I mean, let's take an NFL quarterback, for example, or at least a good one. Uh, NFL quarterbacks memorize thousands of plays like the back of their hand, but only the best ones are able to adjust their offense based on the defense in front of them. Likewise, a doctor can know the whole human anatomy with their eyes closed. But if he or she can't administer the right drug in a critical moment, they'll lose thousands of patients. You see, professionals are looked up to because they not only know the right way to do something, but they can actually do it. And this morning, I think that's really true for Christians, really true for people who want to seek God in their life. You see, Derek gave us a great description of what wisdom was this past summer. He called wisdom the skill in the art of godly living. And for us, we both need to know what does godly living look like and how are we meant to live out that example in our lives? So that brings us to the question that Derek brought up before I got here. What what exactly is the difference between heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom? And that's a hard question for us to immediately answer, right? In our world, we're told to chase after a lot of things that give us wisdom. We're told to find that in our mentors, in ourselves, that we're supposed to listen to our emotions or our desires. People in my generation are especially told that we have to be true to ourselves in seeking wisdom. That the way I feel actually should guide my life before any type of objective truth. But the problem is, our emotions are deceptive, aren't they? We don't always want what's right for us. What I desire in life isn't always what God desires for me. My ways are not his ways. Rather, when we're seeking heavenly wisdom... God is calling us to seek his purpose for us above our own. And it's exactly the heavenly wisdom mentioned that James talks about in the third chapter of his book. A wisdom that calls us to glorify God in the way we work. and the way we love others. And we're told in scripture that when we're able to find this wisdom, it will bring great peace to our lives. It will truly lead us to want to glorify God before ourselves. So, This morning, let's start by first being honest with ourselves about the ways we've fallen short of the wisdom God wants us to live by. Let's see the vices, so to speak, of earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom. And then we can truly examine the beauty of heavenly wisdom. And we can even discover that it's a beautiful gift that God actually wants to give us, not something we have to earn. So let's, let's actually go back to James real quick. Let's see how he describes worldly wisdom for us. And we need to go to verse 14 to do that. So in verse 14 it says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We see that James actually gives us two key markers here of what someone's life would look like if worldly wisdom dominated their heart. He says that they'll show selfish ambition in their work and jealousy in the way they love others. Let's start first with selfish ambition. How does that bring great disorder to our lives, like James says? Well, first, I think we can see how it reorients our values, Instead of seeing Jesus as our everything, our identity where things start, instead we want to see our identity in success. We want to make our purpose in feeling superior towards others who can't do what we can do as well. You see, Jesus is calling us not to chase after this identity. Instead, he wants us to humbly serve those around us and love them well. But selfish ambition says no to this beautiful call. And self, instead, selfish ambition tells me I need to honor man first. I need to honor my bank account first. That I need to honor me, my name, before anyone else. Selfish ambition also foolishly leads me to say at times that I know what's best for me. That I actually get to plan my own life out. That God might be my creator, but it's actually up to me to establish my steps. It can even lead us to see success as so important that we actually give up other more important things in our life. We might be willing to risk friendships for success. We might be willing to risk the health of our family or even our own prayer life in order to achieve it. We might even go as far to say that, yes, I come to worship God on Sundays and pray to him when Derek leads us, but not during the week. Not when I have so much work to do. Not when there's so much more important things that I believe are in front of me. You see, ultimately, selfish ambition will lead us to think that our fulfillment is found in what we can accomplish and what we can get done. But friends, this could not be further from the truth. You see, Whatever sense of pride or worth we put in what we've accomplished, the way we look, how our family is set up, ultimately these things will not stay forever. Life rapidly changes. And when we're trying to put our foundation in those things, we'll be shocked when they fail us. You see, in a lot of ways, we'll live our life, oddly enough, like a helium balloon. We'll breathe in all this good feelings of worth that we get from what we're known and what we know we can do. But the problem with that is these things that we put so much worth in won't always be with us. For a helium balloon doesn't always hold that gas forever. Eventually the air pressure seeps out and it comes crashing down to earth. In the same way, whatever you find that you're super good at right now, you're not always gonna have that skill forever, are you? You're not always gonna be as talented in your workplace as athletic, or as a good student, if you're still called to be in a classroom. Eventually, these things will leave you. Eventually, you'll meet someone else who might be better at that thing than you were ever. And people might even forget that you were a successful person at one point. You see, when you put those worth in those things, selfish ambition, your pride in what you can do is not gonna grow you. It's not going to bring you a peace. It only inflates you. It only makes you feel whole. But eventually, you'll be left feeling nothing if those are your everything. Instead, if we want to be the kind of people that Jesus is leading us to be, if we want to be the leaders that he's calling us to be, we need to be willing to instead put on humility in our lives. To say, God, you are the reason why I have these gifts. You are the reason why I have these abilities. It does not start with me. Anything that good comes from my life is from you alone. And when we're able to give up our own self-interest, when we're able to let go of our sense of only promoting ourselves, that's when Jesus can use us to the best of his ability. That's when we can be the parents our family needs us to be. That's when we can be the leaders in a workplace others need us to be. And that's ultimately when we can be a church that truly loves people around us before ourselves. Now, moving from selfish ambition, the second key marker of worldly wisdom that James gives us is jealousy. And jealousy, as many New Testament commentaries say, is the enemy of Christian living. Why do they go this far to say the enemy of Christian living? Well, it actually pushes us away from wanting to live sacrificially from others, doesn't it? It moves my heart to no longer say, what can I give you from this friendship? Instead pushes me to say, what are you going to provide for me? What am I going to get out of this friendship? How can I get better than you are? And ultimately, jealousy leads us to covet what others have. Jealousy leads us to always compare where we are in life to those around us. And that comparison game is a restless place to be, isn't it? Instead of resting in, in, in who Jesus is for you, you're always looking at the next thing to fulfill you. You're always looking to what you have compared to what your neighbor has. Instead of saying, Jesus, thank you for the love that you have already shown me. Instead of saying, thank you for what you've already done for me. You're led to say, why haven't you done enough? Why haven't you made me as successful as he seems to be? Why haven't you made me as good of a parent as they seem to be? Why have I not been as popular as she seems to be? Or as loved as they as a couple seems to be? And ultimately, guys, when you live that way, your, your joy is hard to find. It's not a lie to say that jealousy is the ultimate thief of our joy in life. So how do we move away from this? Well, first, I think we need to realize that jealousy is going to do nothing to benefit us. My dad loves to compare leading a life of jealousy to eating cotton candy. Because, uh, you know, when you're first eating that cotton candy, it feels great, right? That first bite, you have all the sugar entering your bloodstream, and you feel on top of the world. You're like, heck yeah, I'm eating cotton candy. This is the best day ever. Um, As you continue to bite, though, it doesn't feel as good. It doesn't taste as good as that first chomp, does it? In fact, by the end of it, you probably feel a little lethargic by what you just ate. You might even feel grossed out by the calories. If not, wait till you're older, I guess. I'm not exactly there yet, but I know it will come. Regardless, though, all of us can agree that cotton candy is not going to leave you satisfied. It's not going to treat your body the same way a full well-prepared meal will. And that's because there's nothing nutrient about cotton candy. There's nothing that's going to benefit our body from it. In the same exact way, jealousy is going to do nothing to nurture your heart. It might take so much of your energy, time, emotions, and thoughts, but it is not going to benefit you. You're only going to be left bitter at where you are in life and bitter where you think God hasn't shown up yet. So let's choose not to let jealousy dominate us today. Let's realize that when we live in jealousy, friendships that we could make could be taken away from us. Let's see that when we enter a comparison game, we might be bitter at those around us who we think have more than us, and that will keep us from really making true friendships with them. Let's be a church that says no to comparison, And instead says yes to identity in Christ. Yes to being vulnerable with each other about what we're struggling with. How we feel inferior. And how we can remind each other that our identity is in Christ alone. That that is where we get our sense of fulfillment. And then we can really be a community that moves towards others well before ourselves. Truly as you see Earthly or worldly wisdom is not going to grow in us the fruits of the spirit that Christ wants to instill in our hearts. Rather, it is through heavenly wisdom that we can truly start to mature in our faith. So, that brings us back to the original question: What does heavenly wisdom look like? How does it differ from what I just described? Well, let's actually open up back to James and read in verse seventeen the beautiful list of heavenly wisdom's character that James gives us. He says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, James gives us a beautiful description there. And this morning, I really want to focus in on the fact that heavenly wisdom is peaceable and impartial in the way it shows love. So let's first dissect what it means to live a peaceful life. What does that mean for us as believers to chase after a peaceful life? Well, I think it starts with wanting to find resolution in all conflict. And that means you have to own up to any parts that you take in a conflict you have to see sin truly as two-way street. You can't just blame someone for the way they hurt you. You gotta own up to the way that you also take part in hurting them. It's very few times in life that we're ever gonna fully be a victim in a situation. And I think if we're able to own up to our own sin, it makes forgiving others way easier because we realize we're just as broken as they are. We're just as much needing mercy as they are. So let's let God lead us in that. For a true peaceful life isn't just one where we're absent of conflict, is it? It's one in when we're moved to find redemption in the brokenness of sin. So a peaceful life in seeking redemption is going to give out forgiveness well, isn't it? It's not going to hold on to it like it's some treasure that I only give a few people. It also sees no fulfillment in trying to be angry at someone else for the rest of your life. It sees no fulfillment in enacting revenge or holding grudges. Now, our society is not very good at this part, is it? I mean, you don't have to go very far, but Twitter or social media to see that our society much rather cancel people than give them a second chance. But we as believers should not live this way. We should be willing to show no hesitation And extending the forgiveness that we have been shown an abundance of in our own lives. The fountain of mercy we have been given should make us more than able to show at least a part of that mercy to others. You see, there's no amount of words, hurtful words, that I can say to someone else that's gonna heal the pain their words caused me. There's no action I can inflict on someone else that's going to take back the memory of how their actions cause scars on my heart. I think we can all agree the only way we're going to truly heal from those painful situations is when we're able to truly forgive those people who hurt us. To say, yes, you hurt me, but I still forgive you. Yes, you wronged me in the past. We can both agree on that, but I actually forgive you regardless of what you've done. Because that is just an image of what Christ continually does for us every day. I think this beautiful truth is seen in the book, Account of Monte Cristo. Which, in this book, the main character goes on a huge revenge quest. quest, To get back at the men who took away the love of his life. And we see that even in the beautiful times where he's able to find these men, and stand before them and challenge them, even enact some forms of revenge against them, he's never able to find peace. He's never able to find rest. In fact, he's only able to truly be at peace at the novel's end when he's able to truly give up this desire to be angry, this desire to get back at those who took away his joy in life. Instead, he says, I'm going to seek the mercy of my creator, who is my joy. I'm going to wait expectantly for him who's bringing me home to heaven, where I will have joy in heaven greater than any kind of joy that I feel like was stolen from me on earth. And I think that's a truth we all need to remember in this life, isn't it? We need to remind ourselves that our home is heaven that we can forgive on earth because anything that's taken away from us now will be restored one day. And we can also rest in the beautiful truth that Jesus' mercy is enough even for us. Because Jesus didn't just come to save those who didn't know him. He came to save those who were considered enemies. He came to save those who called him blasphemous in public. He came to save those who physically and emotionally abused him as Roman officials. He even came to save those who mocked him while he was on the cross. And this morning, he even came to save you and me. He came to save us who turn away from him every day, who can't help but fall into sin time and time again. So because of that beautiful mercy, we should find peace in him, but we should also be pushed to show that mercy to others. That should truly help us live a peaceful life where redemption is sought after instead of closed relationships. So, secondly, we notice that James mentions impartiality in the way it shows love. That being impartial in your friendships is a way you can embody heavenly wisdom in the way you love those around you. So, what does it mean to be impartial in showing love? Well, it starts with being able to see every person as someone worthy of your time, to say no to being selective in your friendships, to say no to favoritism that dominates our world, to be willing to chase after the outcasts of society instead of just that popular it crowd, to say, I want to love these people regardless of how attractive they might seem or regardless of what I'm going to get out of their friendships. I'm going to even pursue those relationships that are hard to keep. Those people that I feel like are hard to love, I'm still going to love them. Because we are called in friendship to love sacrificially in the same way Jesus sacrificially loved us first. And let me just say, favoritism is a painful sin, isn't it? It's something that we have all experienced at one point. It's something that hit us across the face probably by the time we finished kindergarten and continues to tear at our hearts as fully grown adults. Maybe some of us here today have dealt with open bullying or open mockery at those who thought they were better than us. I would say even more have probably felt the silent forms of favoritism's attacks. Where we felt invited into a friend group but not actually wanted there. That when we're with a group of friends, we feel more like we're lost in a crowd. That we're not really shown a hand of friendship. People might laugh at our jokes, but they don't really value me. They don't really care that I'm there. I may even feel like I'm an outsider looking in at times. When we allow favoritism to attack us this way, sometimes we even start to believe believe that maybe we're not worthy of love. Maybe we're not worthy of intention. Maybe those friends who get it all are, but there might be something wrong with me. Let me just say, friends, this is not the way our relationships are meant to affect us. We're not supposed to feel this way through friendship. Instead, in order to move away from this social performance culture that we live in, we need to start with ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, what ways have I given in to favoritism too? What ways have I pushed people out of my life that I thought weren't worth my time? If we're able to truly say no to easy relationships, and instead say yes to every kind of relationships, that's when God can truly work on us. That's when we can see friendships as not just loose associations, but rather brothers and sisters in Christ who we are loving just because God has put them there. Not because of what I want to get from them, but rather I'm going to give you everything because Christ gave me everything. That's when we can have friendships that last through the thick and thin. That's when we can truly show an impartial love. So in closing today, I want to acknowledge the fact that heavenly wisdom is a hard thing to follow. This is a very hard calling. And if you're like me, you probably thought at one point during this, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. How in the world am I going to embody all these things perfectly in my life? How in the world am I going to achieve this through my own efforts? Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, James does not expect us to achieve heavenly wisdom on our own. Instead, we're told in the first chapter of his book that Heavenly wisdom is a gift God gives to us. Not only that, he rejoices in giving it to us. It's something that he will continue to provide for us as long as we're willing to humbly and faithfully ask for it. So today, friends, I urge you to ask for God's wisdom every day. To realize that even when you mess up, even when you make mistakes, you can still ask for it again. That is a gift he will never grow tired of giving you. There's no credit score that makes you worthy or unworthy of his wisdom, just like there's no credit score that makes you unworthy of his love. He is a God that has forgiven us and moves towards us. When we come to him in repentance, he will show up. So this morning, let's ask for God's heavenly wisdom in all things. Let's ask for it because even in our busyness, we can find joy because we're doing work for his glory, not our own. Let's see friendships as something worth pursuing regardless of what we think they can give us. Let's see forgiveness as a treasure worth giving to those around us. Reconciliation, the right destination in dealing with conflict. And let's say no to comparison and yes to coming to Christ. Yes to seeing our all in him. And finally, let's be a church that is able to listen to the pains of our neighbors so we can truly hear what they're struggling with and God can use us to speak into their life. Let's rejoice in the fact that our God is a wise God that stands with us every day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning and thank you so much for your mercy, for your wisdom, the fact that you are our guide in life. I pray that we would really see that your will is better than ours, that your purpose for us is better than what we think our purpose is in life. I pray that we would see work as a way to honor you and that we would be people who go to you first before any other source of fulfillment in life. I thank you so much that you've given me an opportunity to speak this morning and I pray that, If no one heard anything else, they would know the beauty of your love and the faithfulness you have for us. Amen.